Good morning. Um, well, my name is Sam. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at, at LifeGate, and um, alongside my husband Mark, get to lead our Liverpool congregation. We're up to our third message from Joshua this morning. If you've missed one, can I encourage you to um, head to our podcast, LifeGate Padstow, on on your phone, and um, you can catch up because there's been two amazing messages so far. And um, let's see how we go with the third, hey? We might pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you that we get to be here. It is a privilege to, um, to be in your house and to worship together. And God, we just pray now that as we look at your word, God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that your word is life to us. And God, we just pray that our hearts would be open to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, When I was at university, I had an interesting encounter one afternoon. I was in a study group with uh, five or six other people and um, the conversation went something like this as my friends started sharing about their experiences with illicit drugs. They started talking about the fun that they had had when they'd taken these drugs and their experiences. And the general consensus was that they thought there was nothing wrong with taking illicit drugs. And then all of a sudden, all five faces turned to me because I'd been very quiet up until this point. And they asked me, well, what do you think? What's been your experience so far with taking drugs? And in that moment, I had a choice. I could either go along with what they were talking about, agree with them and maybe make up a story, or I could tell them what I really thought. And what I really thought was that illicit drugs are dangerous and while maybe some people can have some fun while taking them, it can also be life-changing. And so I told them that I'd actually never taken drugs and I never planned on taking drugs And they kind of looked at me for a minute like I had two heads and then they just kind of laughed it off and we moved on to the next topic. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that where a conversation starts and you've got a choice? Do I go along with the crowd? Do I join in with what everybody else thinks? Or do I give my opinion, which might be different to what everybody else is talking about? This morning, as we continue to look at the life of Joshua, we're going to explore the idea of living in the minority. Our key scripture this year is Joshua 1.9. It says, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, Nathan last week spoke about some of the events that had led up to this moment. Some 40 or so years earlier, Joshua had been part of the Exodus. He'd lived in captivity in Egypt and he'd seen these incredible signs and wonders that God did in order to free the Israelites. 
He'd had this incredible experience to be able to walk across the dry land of the Red Sea when when God parted the waters. He ate the manna from heaven that God provided each morning for the Israelites. He was the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. And he was a man who knew God and who desired to be where God was. And now here is Joshua in this passage. He's standing at the edge of the promised land. Moses had died. Joshua had become the leader of the Israelites. And God speaks these words over him. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. I'm going with you. But this isn't the first time that Joshua has stood in this place. This isn't the first time that Joshua has looked out over the promised land because 40 years earlier, Joshua stood in this exact same spot. Numbers 13, 1 to 3 says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm I'm giving to the Israelites. Send send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in, in the wilderness of Paran. 12 great leaders were chosen to go on a mission to suss out this promised land. God had said, this is yours. Go and see what it's like. Go and see what's going on there was what Moses instructed them. And Joshua, being one of these tribe leaders, was chosen to go on this great mission. And then these are the instructions that Moses gave to the 12 men before they head out. He says, go, th- go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops the, the crops that you see, because it happened to be the season for harvesting, harvesting the first grapes. So here are these 12 leaders. They've got their instructions from Moses. And so they head out on this journey, on this mission, to find out what's going on in the promised land and then to bring a report back to Moses. This is the report that comes back. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses. So they spent 40 days in the promised land, sussing out what's going on here. And they bring their report back to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and shown them the fruit that had been taken from the land. This is what their report was to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, verse 28. 
But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even see giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So far, not looking so great. There's a little bit of good news there, but some not so great news as well. Then they go on in verse 31 to say this, we can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travelled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge, a bit like Nathan. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought of us too. This is the report given to Moses by 10 of the tribe leaders who went out on this mission to check out the promised land. This was the majority report. First they report the good news. The land is beautiful. The crops are bountiful. I can imagine them handing out grapes that they brought back and tasting these incredible, this incredible fruit that they you know, picked from the vines. Then comes the but. But as lovely as the land looks, we have absolutely no chance of possessing it. The people living there are massive and next to them we look like grasshoppers. Can you imagine the picture that might have started to reform in a, the Israelites that are listening to this? I'm a bit of a visual learner, so I picture these giants stomping on grasshoppers thinking, I don't want that to be me. They go on to say that not only are the people huge, but the towns that they're living in have massive walls around them. We've got no chance of taking this land. The majority report, give up. There's no way we can do this. But of the 12 tribe leaders that have explored the land, there's still two that haven't yet spoken. And Caleb gets the attention of Moses and Aaron and the community and he's about to speak. He's got a choice. He could agree with what the other ten leaders had just said. He'd know these guys pretty well. He'd respect them. He spent a stack of time with them. They've just been on mission together. Imagine being in that place. You highly respect these guys, but you don't agree with them. You have a choice in that moment. Do I go with the majority or do I live in the minority? This is what Caleb first says. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. 
we can certainly conquer it. And then when we flip over to Numbers 14, they, being Joshua and Caleb, said to all the people of Israel, the land we travelled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, we will, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. We've got two reports, 12 leaders, two different opinions of what they had just both seen. Both groups saw the same thing with their eyes. They saw that the land was beautiful. They saw that there was large men living in the land. They saw that the towns were fortified with big walls around them. But then they bring back two reports. One says, we can't take the land. And the other says, we can do this. So there has to be something else going on inside these two groups. And I want to suggest this morning that it is the spirit or the attitude that they each carried. The majority had an attitude of fear, which caused them to believe that they could not possess the promised land. The ten leaders were focused on the obstacle that was in front of them. But the minority had an attitude of courage. They had courage to go against the majority and declare to the Israelites, we can and we will possess the promised land. Jacob and, sorry, Joshua and Caleb were more focused on God than the obstacles that were in front of them. I think it's really important to point out at this point that both groups, both the majority group and the minority group, were followers of God. All 12 men knew God and they had seen him do incredible, amazing things. But when opposition stood before them, the majority of the people focused on the obstacle and the minority group, Joshua and Caleb, focused on God. So how do you respond when you're faced with a giant obstacle? Now, it might not be literal giants, but maybe it's a financial difficulty or maybe it's a sickness or a relationship breakdown. could be an addiction or peer pressure. What is your attitude when you're faced with an obstacle? Do you allow an attitude of fear to stop you from moving forward like the majority of the tribal leaders did? Are you focused more on that obstacle that is in front of you? I believe that it's God's desire for us that we would be like Joshua and Caleb, that we would be people who choose to live in the minority, to be courageous and to not just go with the flow, but to choose to not allow the opposition that is placed in front of us to dictate how we're going to respond, but instead choose to see God choose to focus on God and to trust that he is the one that's going to bring us through it 
who is going to help us find freedom in that area. But how do we get to this place? How do we get to a place where, like Joshua and Caleb, we are living in the minority? We are choosing to focus on God, choosing to have an attitude of courage and not fear. Well, I want to give you three keys to living in the minority this morning. Are we doing okay? You're very quiet. Are we okay? Do we need to have a wriggle? Does anyone need a bit of water? I do. The first key is we need to not just know the promises of God, but we need to believe the promises and the word of God. You know, this morning we were singing, there is power in the name of Jesus. And we can sing that and we can know that. We can know, yeah, there's power in the name of Jesus. I know that. But there is a big difference between knowing and believing it. In this passage, we've got two groups who I said both know God. They've both seen God do amazing things. They've heard the stories that have been passed down from their ancestors about who God is. But there's a difference between knowing and believing. Joshua and Caleb chose to trust and to believe the word of God. And so when an obstacle was placed before them, they believed that God would help them conquer it because he'd said he would. Now, we can know that God promises to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches. But when financial trouble comes our way, do we stand firm on that promise, trust it and declare it over our lives? Or do we get stressed, get anxious and maybe even stop tithing? We can know that God desires that all people be saved and come into a relationship with him. But when we're chatting to a non-Christian, do we share our faith story and who Jesus is for us or do we shut our mouths, shrink back and not talk about it? Because there's a difference between knowing the scriptures and believing the scriptures and standing firm when something's placed in front of us. To be people who live in the minority, we need to allow the promises and the word of God to not just be head knowledge, but to be something that we know and believe in our heart. I've shared this story before that I had one of those experiences where the doctor rings and gives you some news that you don't really want to hear. Has anyone had one of those experiences before where you're just going about your day and all of a sudden... Hello, it's the doctor here. Well, I was walking home from lunch one Wednesday afternoon. The doctor rings and says, you're having an ectopic pregnancy. I hung up the phone, Googled, because I had no idea what ectopic pregnancy was, let alone how to spell it or pronounce it, so I needed to go to Dr. Google. And what I read was that an ectopic pregnancy could be extremely dangerous and would most likely need medical intervention. I don't know if you've noticed this when you Google your symptoms. Um, you find horror stories. Like everyone wants to share the horror story that they've experienced. You don't tend to find any positive stories of how people, you know, 
It was all good. And so in that moment, I remember having a choice. Am I going to freak out here? Am I going to become a crazy, anxious, stressful person? I know that the Bible says that God is my healer, that he's my refuge, my strength, ever-present help in times of need. But do I just know this or am I going to believe it? And on that occasion, I chose to believe it. I chose to stand firm on those promises and that word. And although I was scared, I didn't freak out. I focused my attention on God. I got some great people around me who helped me to focus my attention on God. And rather than freaking out at that obstacle, we looked at that obstacle and said, our God is greater. Now, I wish I could say that that is always the case, that every time I have an obstacle, that's what I do. But in this particular occasion, I chose to not just know the promises of God for my life, but to believe them and to stand firm on them. The second key I want to give us this morning for living in the minority is to desire the presence of God. Last Sunday when Nathan was talking about God preparing Joshua before he sent him, he read from Exodus 33, and this is what it says. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses, love this scripture, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua desired the presence of God. He desired to be where God was. When everyone went back to their tents, He stayed. He longed to be in the presence of God. And I know that when we are in the presence of God, we are changed. He starts to rub off on us. We begin to think like him, to speak like him, to act like him, to make choices that he would want us to make. So let me ask you this morning, do you desire the presence of God? Do you make time to connect with God in your week? You know, the majority stood at the door of their tent and worshipped. For us, the majority comes to church and we worship together for 20 minutes on a Sunday, but the minority lingered. The minority leaves this place and chooses to connect with God. 
chooses to be in his presence, chooses to allow him to rub off on them. These encounters with God change us so that when we're faced with opposition, our normal and natural response comes to focus on him rather than the obstacle. And our third key to living in the minority is be careful who you listen to. There was a third group in this picture. We had the majority group of the 10 leaders who said, we can't do this. We had the minority group who said, we can because God is with us. And then we've got the community of the Israelites who are listening to this report. They've heard both reports. They've heard the insistence that we cannot do this. If we go, we are going to die. And they've heard Joshua and Caleb say, we can and we will conquer. And so they've got a decision to make. Who are we going to listen to? Let's have a look what their response was in that moment. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted against themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Nuts, this is crazy. We know what happened in Egypt and they're talking about wanting to go back there. And then verse 10 says, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Have you ever noticed something about the Israelites? Since getting set free from Egypt, every time things got a little bit rough for them, they started to massively complain. When they reached the Red Sea and the Egyptians are closing in on them, they start freaking out, complaining, God's brought us out here to die. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea and they walk through. Now, not long after this, they've got no water. They start complaining, freaking out. God's brought us out here to die. What does God do? Provides them with water. They start to get a bit hungry, freak out, complain. God's brought us out here to die. What does God do? Provides manna from heaven. There's a negative report about the promised land. God's brought us out here to die, etc., etc. There's a pattern going on here for the community of the Israelites and a lesson that I think that we can take from them. And this is kind of a bit of a side note this morning, but I think it's important. I want to suggest that it is very difficult to make a good decision, to choose to focus on God and be courageous when you have a complaining and critical attitude. It's very difficult to make a good decision, to listen to the right people and to be courageous when you have a complaining and critical attitude. 
And that's what we see in the community of the Israelites, a complaining and critical attitude. So when two reports are brought back about the promised land, they choose to listen to the majority. And what a massive consequence this was for the people of Israel. They wander around the desert for 40 years and most of them missed out on ever entering into that land that God had said was theirs. So let me ask you, who are the loudest voices in your life? People like the majority who have an attitude of fear who say you can't do that. Or people like Joshua and Caleb who live out of an attitude of courage, who focus on God and who believe that with him we can and we will conquer who encourage you to stand firm on the promises of God and to believe them for your life? Who are the loudest voices in your life? Really important question to ask yourself this morning. So I'm finishing this morning. There's three keys to living in the minority, three keys that help us to stand firm and to focus on God when we're faced with opposition rather than focusing on the obstacles. Three keys that can help us live out an attitude of courage rather than an attitude of fear. Which one sticks out the most for you this morning? How might life change for you if you took that key this week and you made a deliberate effort to do something about it? I'm going to invite the band up. And as I do that, I want us to imagine for a moment what would our church look like if we all chose to live in the minority? If when opposition comes our way, rather than focusing on the obstacle, we focused on God, chose to believe his promises and his word, chose to draw near to him, chose to speak the word of God over each other. I wonder what our church would look like if we were all deliberate about doing that.